With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to get an idea of someone who's been with the team since yesterday and, you know, has been around, was in the locker room, travels with the team, and knows the team better than just about anybody alive, and that's Susan Wallman. Susan, what's going on? Oh, <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I just came from upstairs, and they're getting ready to go to the park. All right, so yeah. tell me what it was like. You know, listen, you've been with this team forever. Uh, you've been through every kind of uh, celebration, good day, bad day. Tell me, uh, put in perspective what it was like compared to, say, the old days, yesterday's celebration. Well, yesterday's celebration, I, except for 96, when nobody expected anybody to do anything, I think this was, the greatest. It's a, it made me smile in a way I haven't smiled uh, since 1996 when you guys were talking about the Cadillac and all of that. Yep. Remember that? Yeah, when you're sure. going, um, this group is, uh, they've turned into something special, and it sounds silly because, you know, chemistry only happens when you win, but there's something about this group and the people that came in here um, and and how everybody has taken it to a different level. Um, I was talking to Didi Gregorius the night that Joe started to cry on the on the podium about about his mistake and all of that. Right. And they got really upset about that. They were really I said to Didi, I said, Your manager's in there crying. And he said to me, we're not going to let him down. They really, and it sounds almost, you know, it's like a movie. And, of course, if they had gotten out and, and Corey Kluber didn't have a bad elbow or back or whatever the heck they now say, yeah. Oh, is that what they're uh, saying, though? Yeah, that somebody said something. Uh, I heard well, it back you and, know. And in the post game. I get, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry you don't, you don't get to make excuses after the fact. Sorry, that, that's a, no, that, that doesn't work. No, you sure don't. No, you don't. You sure don't. No, it that doesn't work. That doesn't no, work. It sorry, sure doesn't. No. He never said it. I, right. I didn't see Francona's press conference last no, night. No, did I. The, I didn't see it either. So but, I, I'm not sure what he said. Maybe we could dig that out. See if you get a transcript of what Francona said. But so you compare it to '96. Now you mentioned. The newcomers, Frazier seems to be a guy who's kind of become a lightning rod, right? He's kind of an outgoing guy. He's a character. He seems to be a guy who's kind of added a lot of energy to the team. He's added something else, Mike, and I won't tell you the player, but um, he, is, he is a leader in a way that you wouldn't expect because I'm always in places where I'm not supposed to be when something happens. We were in Fenway Park um, the last time we were there, I guess it was, and uh, somebody came in at five o'clock because it's a small place, and someone was on the um, on the on the DL. And uh, Frazier went over to that player and said, um, "Where have you been?" I said, "Well, you know, they, the time is the bus just got here at five o'clock." He said, "Don't you ever come into this clubhouse at Fenway Park at five o'clock in the afternoon when all the media is in this place? It's too small for that." Wow, and he, you know, he's he's that he is a leader. You wouldn't see it because people. He's up and energetic and sliding on his face and all those kinds of things. He is a leader. He keeps people together. 
He lets himself be the brunt of jokes so that everyone is together. He's something. He's something very, very special. Um, I wish he hit a little more so he could stay here. Um, but he's tremendous. He has made a big difference in that. We've always known that Brett Gardner is one of those guys who does it very, very quietly, old school, yep. will, um, you know, get people together. And, you know, that's something that you don't see on the field because the personality of a Frazier is so outgoing that people laugh. Um, he's some leader. He really is. He's a tremendous guy to be around, and he's added an awful lot. And on the on the other side, the other person who has, and we knew this before, David Robertson takes care of that bullpen. He really does. What, he what a great to, pickup he is. Because first of all, he's oh. got nerves of steel, which we always knew, and he can get out of any situation. But that that was a great pickup for the Yankees. It really was. Yeah, it really. And those are the people that you don't really, you know, think about. I mean, I said to to Robertson and uh, I said to Robertson yesterday on post game and on the field. I said, "Aren't you glad you came back here?" And he said, "You have no idea." It was just it, it, the people that you wouldn't think of. Are I know that Tommy Canley has been amazing. He said to me, Mike, on the field the other day, all I've ever wanted to do was to prove that I could pitch in the major leagues. I mean, that's coming out of a guy who the Yankees didn't protect. He went to Colorado, then he went to Chicago, never put it together until this year, and Brian Cashman had the wherewithal to go and, and jump on him on that time because I think Chicago didn't know whether he was actually going to turn back into the other person who walked people all the time. And look what Tommy Canley has hey, done the, in this, in this playoff series. We're talking with Susan Wallman. Obviously, she's been with the team. She was with them on the flight to, to Houston, where they are now. They'll be on the field later on today that workouts at six o'clock um obviously game one tomorrow uh susan you were there after game two you were there when they went home after game two paint the scene of what it was like after game two to what it was like last night because that's that's what sports is about the change from where they're so low and the manager's so low and beating themselves up and now to where you are a couple days later, where you win three straight games. What was it like after game two compared to what it was like last night? Well, the, in game two, it was. It started with Joe in the press conference because before we got into the clubhouse to talk to the players, Joe was already on the podium talking about the fact that from a catcher, he didn't want to break up the momentum right. of. Of which, the Green. which was and nonsense, people, which we all know. Well, I, I, it, there was something else going on. I still, to this moment, think there was something else that we don't know. Because you think I've he's never covered seen, for somebody? I did. That was He denies it, denies it, denies it. But I, it, have you ever seen Joe Girardi make a mistake like that? I mean, Joe Girardi is his Very smart. He's an engineer. He's smart. He's very precise. I mean, it was a bad, it was a bad error. Now that he's did, he did a lot. He took a lot of beating if he's covering up for somebody. He really did. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the, he says. No, I've asked him every day. You know, just quietly. Are you sure he said no? It was my my mistake. Um, that was you know he's been low before. I mean the first the first year he had trouble here. That first year replacing Joe Torre, um, that personality didn't wear well with the New York media because Joe was so open about everything, or we thought he was. But and it was so different. And I've seen him low like that before, but I never saw it um, after Game Two. Um, the guys were pretty devastated, but we can do this. This is a very this is a very um, they're young. They're energetic. They think they can do anything. 
they bounced back really, really quickly. It was not one of those where um, I think we all thought, oh, this is over. We're, we're not, we're and not going And what a great here. performance from Tanaka. Tanaka took the ball and was brilliant. I mean, I, judge he has, I mean, he took, that changed the whole series. I mean, his performance was unbelievable in Game 3. Well, let, let me tell you about Masahiro Tanaka, because I've talked about this with, with Joe also and with Larry Rothschild. This year, when he has had to perform, he has. He gets something in his mind. When we, went, when we played the Red Sox and he was up against Chris Sale, he was angry because he got no um, press. Everyone was Chris Sale, Chris Sale, Chris Sale. He beat Chris Sale. Then the Mets, he beat them. And then there was Bedlam when Darvish and Tanaka were at his, were going to pitch together. Every camera in Japan was sitting in that stadium. That was as good a performance as I've seen by two pitchers all year long. He knew he had to do this. There's something about him this year that when he has to do it, he has put on a performance like that. He really has. But it's, it, I can pinpoint the ones, and I just named them. Because that's when I've seen the old Tanaka. He comes out in the first pitch, first or second pitch, he's throwing 94 mile an hour fastball. And Larry Rothschild, you can see his face saying, Where'd that come from? When he needed to do it, he's done it and he did it again. That was as good a performance and he needed to. And he likes to be, he's never liked the fact that people don't think him as a, as a number one. The other thing is that we forget that athletes um, get get very emotional about things. And when he bought his 1500th win combined in um, Japan and and the United States, um, it was a big deal in Japan. And I talked to him afterwards, and he said, I never thought I'd win that amount of games ever. I'm, I'm so lucky. I've worked so hard. He started thanking everybody. He thanked his family. And, the, you know, the guys in New York, it's okay, that's very nice. It was a big thing to him. Just think, he's only 28 years old. He's right. won 1,500 games in two different countries. I mean, that's pretty tremendous. But he's got that little bit of doubt in him that a lot of athletes do. If you if you sort of rub the skin of a very confident and I, and, guy, you'll find something else. We're talking with Susan Wallman, who's in Houston. I gather something else which I wasn't aware of. I gather the Yankees were annoyed that Ramirez had made, a, I guess he had tweeted something about, we're going back to Yankee Stadium and we own it. We won every game there this year. And he called them cupcakes or something like that. I wasn't aware. Oh. <laughs> and the Yankees were all mimicking them last night, I guess they were, because I guess Ramirez really ticked them off or something by saying that they owned Yankee Stadium or something. Oh, uh, well, I'm not on Twitter, so I wouldn't know that. I, that's I what I heard that. this morning, and someone was talking about it, and they're saying, he, I guess he tweeted something. So the Yanks, I guess, had a couple of things going with the Indians during the series, which uh, I was I don't pay attention to that stuff. But Ramirez had a nightmare, and the Indians just completely imploded. I mean, the errors. Well, I mean, the errors. Look at the way they threw the ball around in the ninth inning like they weren't even interested. I mean, they, and, they, they, they just they were completely just overwhelmed by these last couple of games. They, they really were. There were a lot of things that happened, and you know, and it's fine to talk about emotional wins and what the Yankees did, and this is what the, this is what the Yankee scouting staff did, and it was very similar to, um, when you, in these kinds of big series, the Yankees knew that, um, Encarnacion obviously was hurt after game two, and he was not the same. Brantley and Chisenhall should not have been on the field. Brantley I mean, they was had awful. not played. He couldn't swing well, the bat. Well, they haven't played all, uh, yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't swing the bat. Yeah. They've been hurt all year. Okay, let's take out of that. I'm sorry they're hurt. That's um, but the thing is that the Yankees, what they did was take Lindor and Ramirez out of the game. 
And that's all you have to do is take the two big guys out of the game, and then you just go ahead because there's no one else that's going to beat you in that lineup. There really isn't. And that's, that's you know, we always say that um, Brian Doyle had his moment. I remember in 86, Marty Barrett had his moment. It's always the little guys. They take the big guys out of the game, which is what they did to Aaron Judge. But everybody else on the Yankees contributed because they, they had a plan for Aaron Judge, which was really something. They did a great and job. They, yeah, they threw him a million curveballs, and he, he had a bad series. He did. But how about Didi? I mean, Didi was unbelievable. Huh? I mean, look at the way this guy's grown up. I mean, I remember, and you know this, A-Rod on the field trying to talk him through those first couple of weeks yep. where he couldn't even run the bases here. He was, like, lost. And, compl- he, <coughs> excuse me, he couldn't even make a play. <laughs> Well, and I also remember a day in Washington, um, Alex on one side, Carlos Beltran on, on another side, them walking out with bats on their shoulders to the cage in National Park where they were going to take Didi out there and have them, because if you noticed, after that day, after that group in Washington, when Didi, Didi got here, it was about May or something like that, um, Didi all of a sudden started hitting lefties. I don't know what they did. They said, oh, no, no, Didi had it anyway. But the two of them, I remember him being flanked and walking out there with Alex and Carlos Beltran. And he took off from there. And what people have to remember is that Didi Gregorius never played a full season in the major league level ever. And this is a guy who, when he grew up, if you know about his background and where he comes from, when he was a little boy, Andrelton Simmons was the shortstop, and he's played sometimes but never really did. And I said, so when Andrelton left and got too old, did you get to play shortstop? He said, no, Jerickson. Profar played shortstop. So he never really got any training till he came here. He was always the extra guy because he wasn't as good as those guys. And he carries around a little picture on his phone of that team. Kenley Jansen was the catcher and Profar and all those kids. They all grew up together. But Didi never had the same kind of experience because he was never the guy. They went right from Simmons to Profar. And Didi by the way, and is the most positive human being I've ever met in my life. If you say, it's going to rain, Didi, he'll say, no, 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 it'll pass. It'll be okay. And in about 405, it'll be great, and it's going to be wonderful. And he's one of those, and it's real. And he does, and and we we talk about him, and we talk about the baby bombers. Didi Gregorius is 26 years old. I mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, he's got a lot of great baseball left in him, and and he's and Bird too. You know, Bird's another one who's just he came up big in this series. He could see how outgoing he was, screaming, going around the bases. I mean, that they're a very you know very outgoing, very in your face group, and you know they're having a good time. You can tell that well, you know this you is know. this is the innocent trip they're going to have. It's not always going to be this way, but this is the innocent trip this year. That's why we're. That's why we're always comparing it to '96. Yep. That it's the yep. same thing. It was the first time, yep. and you know they're playing the Jeter flip play. Every time I turn on MLB, the Jeter flip play is. It's the same kind of thing. They're making those kinds of um, those those plays in the combination of the young kids. For, look at the last that last inning. Todd Frazier had a nine pitch at bat. And Brett Gardner had a 12 pitch. Oh, they back. were great. Now, listen, and it, both it, it's of them. Just, yeah. So they do that. And, you know, you, you talk. And Chapman, you got to give Chapman credit. Listen, Joe did a great job rebuilding Chapman. Chapman lost his job, got his job back, got him built back up. And now look what he's doing. So, I mean, they got him all the way back, which is well, saying a lot. I mean, considering well, and, where he and, was. And it's saying a lot because uh, Larry did this. This is Larry Rothschild because Larry would sit and watch tape because there really wasn't any difference. Everybody likes to pick, well, maybe the release point was different. Maybe he's opening his shoulder. And Larry kept saying, 
I can't find anything. I can't find anything. And then all of a sudden, uh, Chapman said, well, I changed the, the grip a little bit. And I asked Larry, I said, do you change the grip a little bit? Does that make a difference? And you know what the answer is, really? If he thinks it makes a difference, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, it's mental. And, yeah. and yesterday, um, I asked Larry after the game, I said, two innings. He said, I'm not having anyone else in that game at that point, but Aroldis Chapman. And there's something about Chapman. They're very, he's very, he's got a lot of pride. He really does. And to watch him when he was going through that awful time, it was terrible. The look on his face, he had never had failure before. He didn't know what to do. And he worked. He really is a, he really is a worker. He's and a, I guess, and I guess he went in and apologized. According to A-Rod, who said it on the air the other day, he went in and apologized to Joe for whatever happened on Instagram with him, uh, you know, liking a story of Joe getting fired or whatever. Uh, and that, no, it, But yesterday they seemed, to, and yesterday they seemed like they were pretty together on the field. Well, no, Joe, Joe is good about that kind of thing. I don't know. It's one of those Twitter things or something. Right. I guess people after game two were saying Joe was an imbecile. Right, they, could, they he said he was going to be fired, yeah. And he was an imbecile. And supposedly Chapman liked, liked it. Right. I don't know what you do. You right, I guess you liked. put a thumbs up on the story or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, if it's on Twitter, the whole world sees it. You know, they got a guy sitting at Deadspin who does nothing but, but follow these guys. So, it's so it's out there. I know. He's I've heard of him. Yeah, I don't watch yeah. it too much, but he follows me every day. I know that. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> I know I see stuff on people's pages. And how did they know I said that? Oh, uh, listen, there? it's on there. Everything is on there now. So that's but just the way it goes. But I guess they didn't have a problem, though. It was, it, it, they, no, they worked it no. out. No, well, whatever was said, Chapman went in the very next day and said, um, he he didn't realize what it was or whatever. And Joe has other thing had other things to worry about after game two than if whatever Aroldis Chapman did. And you know Joe's very good about that, and he knows he wanted this. This was a vindication of of Joe Girardi, and I think the team took it very very seriously. Is he happy here? Is he? Is there a chance he'll walk away now? I mean, he doesn't have a contract. Are there going to be issues with the Yankees and him? What do you think, or you think he's going to be okay here? I think it's going to be up to him. And I don't know, you know, he doesn't want to talk about it. He talks about it at the end of the year. He and his family will sit down and they'll talk about it. I don't, I don't, you know, how can the Yankees fight, say thank you very much after what? Oh, they can't. Said. Now the question this is, he, there's a lot of open question, jobs right now, you know, there's a lot of open yes, jobs. there are. Yeah. Um, you know, I think with everything that's gone on here, I think it's going to be his decision. I don't know. He's very, you know, how close he is. You know, he'll he'll decide. Uh, but I think it's going to be his decision. And what I think everyone has to remember is that <clears throat> that this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. No one would have been surprised if they had had a losing season. They really wouldn't have. No question. Because it was supposed to be the next step. This is like the Cubs a couple of years ago when they just weren't quite ready, but everybody gelled at the That's same point. time. No, absolutely. They're they're ahead of schedule. They're playing with house money. Uh, they'll be playing a good team. Uh, we know that. Uh, but the, you like the way they're playing. And and you like everything about what they're doing, the bullpen. Uh, they got to get they got to get something out of Gray in this series. There's no question. They're going to have to get something out of him. And I, I think people are worried about Gray right now. Before we get to that or anything, tell me what the plane ride was like to Houston. Was it quiet and everybody <laughs> sleeping, or were they having a party? No, I, and somebody, everybody's sleeping. What are you kidding? No, oh, it was it was not. It's a big plane. So in the back of the when we got on the plane, uh, usually this doesn't happen. But uh, Starlin Castro and, and has a big. It used to be called a boombox. Right. I think it's called something else now. Right. And they're on there, and they're singing, and they're and they're having a wonderful time. And I think they brought some of the refreshments from the gotcha. clubhouse with them on the plane. Um, we got here at six o'clock in the morning. It's a long way. 
And um, everybody checked in, and most of them are down in the lobby getting ready to go over to the field to do stuff before the workout at, at 5, I guess, is the workout, or 6. They wanted to do it at night. But the scouting staff, they're all up. They're all up, and they're sitting there, and they're going into their rooms and doing all that stuff. Um, no, how, did, no how, did, how has Batances <laughs> taken things, Susan, the last couple of days? Well, Batances, you know that he's, that, you know, he, he, I know he understands. He's disappointed in himself more than anything else. Um, this is a group I said to, um, I said on the, on the air to, to Didi, and I've said this to Joe about them, and it's, it's only cute when you win. Um, they take care of each other. And you see Batances with Castro, with Didi, with Severino. They make sure he's um, involved in everything. And he was trying to smile. I know he's disappointed. I know he's disappointed in himself. And the best person that is in that clubhouse for those pitchers is the guy who started last night. And uh, if he walks out this door and doesn't come back at anything, they're gonna, that's a big loss in there. And I know that, you know, Cece, Cece came in last night and I said to him on the field last night, I said, look at you, um, first inning, throwing strikes and doing that. And he said, no, I was ready. I was going to be oh, ready he was, for four, four innings, he, he was, was unbelievable. But he is one of those, you always see him, and he's like, he's like Jeter as a leader. Um, he, he does, you, don't, you don't see him do it, but he's the one who started. We're all going out into the bullpen when the starter uh, warms up. He started that last year. It was a togetherness thing. Hey, you so, know this. He changed that team in 2009 when he came there. You know that. He changed yes, that team dramatically. Is. He is as good a teammate as I've ever seen, and when he was having his struggles, when he when he came out of it, um, you should have seen the the uh, Nova and um, going back to Nova and Pineda and all those guys last year when he was having trouble. I mean, when they when he does well, they all hug him because he's so important to that group. And I think that that group has kept the Kansas's head up. Um, you you know him, Michael. You know how disappointed he's got to be. I see it in his face. He wants to be part of this. So badly, and he's working so hard, and I'm not quite sure what it is. But um, at this point, you can't worry about anybody's feelings. Um, Jim, Jim Leland told me that years ago. You, at this point in the season, you have to go with what um, is what you're seeing in front of you. You can't worry about anybody's feelings. We'll figure it out after we win the World Series or wherever they go. No question. And that's you know, you know that he's disappointed. Of course, you do. All right, listen, thanks for coming on. I know you're busy. Uh, have fun. Today. Uh, we'll chat before the next couple of days. Thanks very much. Okay, Mike. Bye. Okay, Susan Wallman. So there you go. You get all the stuff from last night. And I saw her in the, uh, you know, in the celebration over there. You know, they wear all these goggles now. You know, you see how they – it's not like the old days where they used to um, – and those rooms are crazy, you know. The couple of times I've been in those rooms, and I haven't been in many of the baseball ones, because, you know, I didn't cover baseball that way. I was always on the air here or whatever, and I was never down there. But I've been in there in other sports, and I'm telling you, the worst one I was ever in was I was in the Laker visiting Celtic locker room when the Lakers beat the Celtics. And the room is like a closet, and they started shooting champagne corks around the room and basically you had to dodge them. Now, you weren't worried about the the bubbly. You were worried about the corks hitting you in the head because they were shooting the corks out of the bottles. And I'm telling you, they were like they were like guided missiles. You were banging off everybody's bodies and head. They're shooting these corks off everywhere. And this room's like a two-by-four. And you got all these huge Lakers in there going crazy. They just beat the Celtics. And I was in there working for CBS. And I'm telling you, it was basically getting pelted with, you know, champagne corks from the, uh, you know, the Lakers who had just 
beat the Celtics. I think it was 112-105 that game, if I remember right, in, in, when they came back and beat them in that series But uh, in the mid-'80s. But, uh, boy, I, that, that's the one I remember most. But you see these guys now wear all these, you know, goggles so they don't burn their eyes and everything. But uh, they were having a good time last night, and they'll try to see if they can recreate that in Houston back after this.